Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely their fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Superlight Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Superlight shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. In the name of Ma'at, let us claim your birthright. Welcome to the History of Egypt podcast and Total War Pharaoh. This is an introduction to Seti II, one of the faction leaders who commands powerful armies in the Nile Valley of Egypt. In this episode, we will explore the unusual history of Seti himself, an interesting pharaoh who faced a challenging path to rule. Then, we will see how Seti II begins his journey within Total War Pharaoh, and consider the legacy that you may wish to achieve. Seti II is a curious figure. Historically, his claim to rule was probably the most legitimate out of all the characters that appear in Total War Pharaoh. And yet, his reign was also the most unstable, and he faced the greatest challenges to his legitimacy. The man whom we know as Seti II was one of the sons for King Mer-Neptah. This made him a grandson of Ramesses II, and a great-grandson of Seti I. Part of an august lineage, the young prince Seti had a natural rise to power. As the chosen heir to his father Merneptah, he ascended the throne when Merneptah finally died. Hypothetically, he should have had a smooth and easy reign, and yet it was anything but. Six months into his first year of rule, Seti II received news. Amen Messi the former viceroy of Kush, had risen up in rebellion. Amen Messi had declared himself the king of southern and northern Egypt, and from his base in Nubia to the south, Amen Messi was gathering support. Over the next 12 to 18 months, the rebellion spread, until Amen Messi took control of Waset, or Thebes, the great city of southern Egypt. It was a daring move, and you have to wonder, how did Seti II respond? In terms of archaeological evidence, we don't know how much conflict there was during this rebellion. You would assume that Seti II made some attempt to crush Amen Messi, perhaps dispatching a general or leading an army himself upriver to face his rival. Unfortunately, we don't have any explicit evidence to record it. The Egyptian pharaohs did not like to acknowledge internal rebellions or civil wars. Such events went against the idea of divine order, or ma'at, the natural rules of the universe. Egypt should be unified, it should be stable, and when it comes to art or inscriptions on the walls of temples, which are often our best record for a king's reign, traces of civil wars are few and far between. Basically, Seti II and Amen Messi probably fought against one another, 
but the nature of the evidence means we don't have explicit references. So we can't say for certain, but unless Seti II was terribly weak or preoccupied with some other event, it's hard to imagine him allowing Amen Messi to march with such brazenness. Whatever his response, the rebellion gained success, at least for a few years. Amen Messi seized control of the southern city, and he began to usurp monuments that Seti II had begun. Subsequently, Seti was forced to withdraw north. During this period, the first three to four years of his reign, most of Seti's monuments are concentrated in the northern cities, particularly Memphis, or Mennefer, and P. Ramesses in the Delta. Apparently, the legitimate pharaoh decided that he wasn't quite able to crush the rebellion just yet, so he consolidated his power in the north and focused his efforts there. As pharaoh, Seti II took the following names. He was the Horus, victorious bull, great of might, the two ladies, strong-armed, who has repelled the nine bows, the traditional enemies of Egypt. He was the golden Horus, great of dread in all lands. The king of southern and northern Egypt, Usur Keperu Ra Meri Amun, or the strong one of the manifestations of Ra, beloved of Amun. Finally, he was the son of Ra, who belongs to Seth, that is, Setehi, or Seti. These names are classic, but interesting. The pharaoh's throne name, Usur Keperura, seems to be a throwback to 18th dynasty models. Many kings during that period had used royal identities built on the phrase Keperura, referencing the many forms of the sun god. But that naming convention had fallen out of favour over the past hundred years or so, it's interesting that Seti seems to revive it. His names are also quite strong in the military sense. He calls himself the victorious bull, great of might, and the strong armed one who has repelled Egypt's enemies. And calling himself great of dread in all lands suggests that Seti II wanted to be perceived as an imperial ruler, one who was strong against Egypt's enemies. Whether he earned such a title, or whether it was a diplomatic facade, we can't say for sure. But in terms of his public image, Seti II definitely emphasised strength, violence, and power over enemies. You could imagine one calling him a brute. Surprisingly, we don't have any records for Seti II leading major wars. Most of his monuments are simply temples or stelae, rock slabs carved with hieroglyphs. He undertook some expeditions, primarily mining projects in the Sinai Peninsula and eastern deserts, but records of actual conflict and battle? Those are rare and vague at best. If anything, the surviving records show him to be rather pious. There are only a few surviving monuments for Seti II, but for the most part, these are religious texts and structures, monuments devoted to the gods. Obviously, there is plenty of evidence we may have lost, material destroyed or disintegrated over time. And every pharaoh, to some degree, was devoted to images of religion and piety. But it's interesting that Seti II, who used such a militaristic, aggressive identity in his royal names, is only recorded through temples and monuments for the gods. His most significant record, for example, 
is a shrine at the temple of Karnak. There, he erected a bark chapel, which is a type of chapel used for the portable barks or shrines of the divine statues. Seti's bark chapel has three distinct sections. These are devoted to three gods, Amun-Ra, the lord of Karnak, Mut, the mother goddess, and Khonsu, the moon. Seti's bark shrine is a beautiful structure, constructed in the first courtyard of Karnak temple. At the time, it would have stood in front of the temple's main gateway, so it would have been visible to people coming past or sailing on the river Nile. Subsequently, a later ruler built another gateway in front of that temple, so the shrines of Seti were hidden behind the walls, which is how they appear today. But at the time that he planned them, they were visible, public references of Pharaoh Seti's piety. Anyway, Seti's shrines at Karnak were mostly built after the rebellion of Amen Messi. Sometime around year 5 or 6 in Seti II's reign, Amen Messi suddenly disappears from history. We do not know where he went. Did he die, or did he retreat to the southern lands? Did he make some kind of deal with Seti, perhaps retiring without punishment? We can only speculate on the evidence currently available. There are some hints that I'll discuss in a moment, but all we can say for certain is that around year 5 or 6 of Seti's reign, he was suddenly able to regain control of the southern city. Following that, work resumed on Seti's monuments. The king was back in town. Following the end of Amen Messi's rebellion, Seti II went to work erasing his former rival. Wherever Amen Messi's name had appeared, royal artisans would chisel it out, sometimes quite violently. They didn't do a 100% thorough job, and enough traces survive that archaeologists can identify places where Amen Messi's name originally appeared, but was subsequently erased. Despite the roughness, Seti II clearly had an agenda. He wanted to remove this usurper from any public record. The king did not just proscribe Amen Messi, he also fired and erased several government officials. Men like Ka M. Jitri, who had served Amen Messi as the viceroy of Nubia. Their monuments were smashed, and their names were chiseled out. Again, enough traces survive that archaeologists and Egyptologists can identify their existence and careers, but wherever possible, their images and names were damaged and removed from public view. This program continued for several years, and later, certain records that described the time of Amen Messi referred to him as the enemy. Apparently, Seti II really despised this individual. Whether that was political, or personal, or both, we can only guess, but the project to remove Amen Messi was thorough and aggressive. With that in mind, a victory in battle, or an assassination of his enemy, is entirely possible. Again, if that is accurate, you can see why somebody might call Seti a political brute. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow 
and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. So, after a few years of division, Seti II was back in control. His authority was restored over the southern city, Waset, and the lands beyond. Whatever the means of his restoration, we do have some idea of who was responsible. You see, Seti II did not achieve his victory alone. There is strong evidence for two individuals acting in support of the pharaoh. Remarkably, these two individuals also appear in Total War Pharaoh. They were the Queen of Egypt, Ta'usaret, and a foreigner, a royal official named Bai. Ta'usaret and Bai are pivotal figures in the history of this period. We will meet them more thoroughly a bit later, but first, let's quickly introduce them in the context of Seti II. Ta'usaret, or the Powerful Lady, was the king's great wife of Seti II. That is, she was the Queen of Egypt. Bai, meanwhile, was a high-ranking government official. He had started his career as a royal scribe and an overseer in the king's household. In this capacity, Bai may have acted as a sort of agent or representative for King Seti II. Later in life, Bai would achieve incredible political power, and we'll tell that story in the future. But even in the reign of Seti II, he was clearly making moves. One of the interesting things about Bai is that he and his family were technically foreigners. There is evidence that, originally, they came from Syria or Canaan, and they had moved to Egypt during the reign of King Ramesses II. I'll get into the details of that another time, but suffice to say, Bai may have come from outside and slowly risen through the ranks of the Egyptian imperial house. By the time King Seti II was ready to reclaim power, Bai was in a good place to assist him. Because we don't know exactly how Seti II regained control of the south, we do not know exactly what role Bai played, but it is nearly certain that he played a role of some kind. You see, following his restoration in the south, some of Seti II's monuments start to include references to the royal official Bai. At Karnak, for instance, the great temple at the heart of Thebes, Seti II commissioned a new shrine. The shrine was devoted to the great gods of this temple, Amun-Ra, Mut, and Khonsu. And of course, Seti himself appears throughout the monument, making offerings to the deities and prayers for their good health. But there is an interesting feature in this temple. Sometimes when Seti appears before the gods, there is another figure behind him. Originally, this figure seems to have been Bai. That is incredibly unusual. Under normal circumstances, high-ranking officials might appear in a scene standing in front of the pharaoh. They would make offerings and praise the king for his glorious achievements. But it is extremely rare for an official to stand behind the king. That is a position of support, the sort of place where a deity or a queen might appear. So to have Bai standing behind or beside Seti II as he makes offerings to the great gods, that suggests this royal official had become incredibly important. 
Again, we'll return to this story when we discuss Bai in detail. But suffice to say, as Seti II restored his power in Thebes, it seems that he didn't do it alone. The queen Tausaret and the royal official Bai were heavily involved in these events, and they may have assisted, even orchestrated, Seti's return to power. Historians can only speculate on the evidence currently available, but it does paint an interesting picture, and it's a fascinating setup for the events of Total War Pharaoh. According to his public representation, Seti II was an aggressive ruler. His royal names that we have already mentioned describe him as being great of dread in all foreign lands, and one who crushes or repels all Egypt's enemies. Throughout his monuments, the king also makes references to destruction of any who would oppose him, and conquering in the name of the gods. Now, many of these texts are formulaic, religious phrases that we might see on any monument by a pharaoh, but the king made it a part of his royal identity, his names and epithets. And he frequently references foreign countries being underneath his sandals, as if he steps upon them and crushes them underfoot. Again, fairly standard language, but from his surviving monuments, Seti II does seem to have emphasised this strong, aggressive image. In Total War Pharaoh, you get the opportunity to follow through on that. Your starting position is a strong one, in the Nile Valley, close to your father's capital at Memphis. As crown prince, your followers are well equipped and trained. Seti begins with a unit of royal Kopesh guards, soldiers armed with the wicked bronze sword, the Kopesh or Kepesh, and carrying large shields in a rectangular shape with a curved top. These weapons are well attested from royal tombs, like the tomb of King Tutankhamun, who carried shields just like these on his journey to the afterlife. And the bronze Kopesh swords are a famous symbol of the ancient Egyptian army. Seti also gathers a strong force of infantry, with axemen, clubmen, bowmen, javelinmen, and swordsmen all flocking to his banner. Their weapons, in great variety, can cut through the shields of your enemies, crush their skulls, bring them down from afar, or simply outfight them in a one-to-one -one duel. Whether you field them in a levy en masse, or take a smaller force of veteran and elite troops, Seti II holds a powerful starting line, and you can pin the enemy down, slaughtering their infantry with ease, while your special melee chariots race out to the sides, preparing to charge the flank. Seti, the legitimate heir to his father, enjoys accelerated recruitment of troops, for any soldier worth his salt is happy to serve the true prince of Egypt, and as befitting one who called himself great of dread in all foreign lands, Seti wields an army that is aggressive in the melee and strong on the flanks. What's more, the worship of your namesake, the great god Seth, will embolden your forces, and when you triumph on the battlefield, your emboldened soldiers will plunder the enemy camps, gathering more prizes than usual. As you take up command of Seti II's faction, you are ready to inherit the throne of your father. And yet, the enemies are gathering. Amen Messi in the south will be a particular menace, and should he rise up in rebellion, it would be advisable to go south, marching for Waset and the great temple of Karnak. Amen Messi cannot be allowed to usurp your throne. If you wish to fulfil Seti's legacy, and even outdo him, you must crush the usurper. From there, it is a matter of unifying the two lands, 
for which you may need allies. Your wife Tausarit is a good choice. She is already bound to you in friendship and marriage, and as long as you maintain those bonds, she may prove a vital asset. But of course, Tausarit has her own goals and aspirations, and it may be worth keeping a close eye on that partnership. Then there is the Chancellor Bai. Although he is living in Canaan, far from the Nile Valley, his access to international resources and diplomacy may be of great use in your quest for power. Bai can guard the northern frontiers, keeping things safe while you handle events in the Nile Valley. Of course, you should never trust Bai, but as long as he is useful, he may help you to guarantee your rule. Of course, your journey does not end there. Should you triumph over rebellious forces and forge a strongly unified kingdom, you must still look to the horizons. Egypt's traditional enemies in the south, east, west, and north are just a few of the threats that face you, and out there, in the fog of war, even stronger enemies are gathering their forces. If you, Seti, wish to live up to your namesake, you must face them in battle. You must defend the frontiers of Egypt and prepare to fight your way to victory. There will be no peace without war, no conquest without loss. And should you, Seti, fall in battle, it will be your legacy that is crushed underfoot. Strike through! Seti II was a fascinating figure. Historically, he should have enjoyed a relatively smooth transition to power, and yet his reign was heavily disrupted by outside rebellion, internal politicking, and challenges to his legitimacy. 3,000 years later, it falls to you to rectify those errors, take command of Egypt, crush your enemies, and build a stronger legacy than he was able to do. Some may call you a brute, but you know that you are the legitimate pharaoh, and as you march forth in conquest, you will bring unity, destroy the nine bows, trample them beneath your sandals, and become great of dread in all foreign lands. The French Revolution set Europe ablaze. It was an age of enlightenment and progress, but also of tyranny and oppression. It was an age of glory and an age of tragedy. One man stood above it all. This was the Age of Napoleon. I'm Everett Rummage, host of the Age of Napoleon podcast. Join me as I examine the life and times of one of the most fascinating and enigmatic characters in modern history. Look for the Age of Napoleon wherever you find your podcasts.